Welcome to the Musical Communication Podcast. I'm your host, Marianne Ploger, and during these podcasts, I'm looking forward to being able to explore all aspects of what it is to be musical, whether that is how we can be more musical as musicians or how we can understand why we love music and why we think it's musical or why it isn't. So we'll be exploring everything from how to perform music, how to listen to music, as well as aspects of music perception perception and cognition. Hi friends, welcome to another episode of the Musical Communication Podcast. My name is Karen and I am your producer and I am here with the fabulous Marianne. Hey Karen, <laughs> you're so sweet. I love these so much. I feel like I, I just learned so much and I'm constantly inspired and I oscillate between sweating and chills. <laughs> <laughs> this is so, so fun. Um, so today's topic, I was thinking we could, we've had a lot of questions around singing. You know, we've talked a lot about rhythm and, you know, three causes of error and we've expanded upon that, but we haven't quite touched the singing component. I know that's a big part of what you do. So um, take it away on on maybe the, the singing aspect of, of your method and, and musicianship. Great. Thanks, Karen. That's a very important question. Yeah, my feeling is that all great music is singing. All right. Perhaps rhythm, maybe not as much, but even that is pitched. There are pitches uh, that we hear when we hear rhythm. So I think singing is so crucial but very difficult in this era, especially in the United States and possibly in all of North America. So I think that this is perhaps because of the fact that especially uh, the males among us may feel it's very uncool unless you're a rocker, okay? <laughs> uh, but it's very uncool to be in the chorus. Men don't sing. Real men don't sing. It's like an old, old book from, I don't know what it was, the 1980s, Real Men Don't Eat Quiche. <laughs> I think that at the same time, real men don't sing. And of course, we know that's not true in right. the pop medium. So I think that this is a problem because I believe that in adolescence, when it's really important that we're singing, many of us are not. Okay, so yeah. I've um, had the pleasure to work with uh, a few individuals who came to me because of the fact that they had difficulties matching pitch. And I might have mentioned this in an earlier podcast, but I did notice, I made the observation that these individuals actually, I think, lost control of their vocal apparatus. So I believe that this happened because they didn't sing through their adolescence and they went through a very fast growing spurt. So this goes for men and women, but especially guys who might suddenly grow a foot in a very short period of time. Yeah. And if they didn't sing before they had that change in life, uh, it's even more difficult for them to do because it's just getting control over how you coordinate hearing a pitch from being able to sing it. So one of the things that I did fairly early on in working with individuals who had troubles matching pitch is that I would play things for them. And even before I had them singing, I would ask them to tell things like, can you tell a major second? I'd show them how to do that versus a perfect fifth. And they would, I would play them randomly uh, one after another at the rate of one per second. And they were able to identify the difference between these things. So I thought, well, there's simply nothing wrong with their hearing. And I'd ramp it up and make it so, okay, now we'll play a minor second and a major second and a perfect fourth and a perfect fifth after I showed them how. Mm -hmm. And with some errors on occasion, all of us have initially, of course, so we're learning. They would get 
all of them just very, very well. So there was nothing wrong with their hearing. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, I would also say, okay, well, you seem to be understanding my speech quite well. And we now know that each one of the vowels I'm producing is called a format. So the, that is an overtone enhancement pattern, put simply. And essentially, it means you're hearing overtones at a very sophisticated level to tell the vowel A ah, or from the vowel A, for example, or O or any of the other vowels. We're hearing a unique fingerprint of overtones. So the fact that you can understand a language is telling me at least you're actually hearing extremely well, probably well beyond what you would have to as a musician. So then it becomes coordinating the physical voice. So being able to get the voice to do what you're imagining. Hmm. So I know this for myself. If I haven't sung in, in a couple weeks and suddenly I have to sing in tune, really well in tune, I can feel the muscles, just like if I were an athlete. Those muscles are like, they're yeah. not responding as well as they might if I'd been exercising them. So this is something very familiar with singers, a vocalist. Mm -hmm. My own feeling is that all of us must learn how to sing if we're musicians because it's the ultimate human instrument. I believe all others, saxophone, mm -hmm. trumpet, Piano, oh, really challenging there, need to sound like the human voice. And I mentioned the piano because it often doesn't sound like a voice. It sounds like a machine. Yeah. And yet Chopin, Mozart, and others played in such a way that it sounded like singing. And in fact, J.S. Bach, it was said that it sounded like great solo singers when he played. That yeah. isn't sounding like a mechanical instrument we think of it as. So I believe it's crucial that we get in touch with our voice. So in working with people who initially can't match pitch, I'll explain, I'll do that little test I mentioned, or several tests, and it just proves that to them that they're hearing very well. <laughs> but they have to learn how to get that equipment mm -hmm. to coordinate. So there are some kind of fun things that happen with that um, that... I'll talk about it some other time about matching pitch. It'd be fun to do just a podcast on that subject because a lot of people ask me about that. But uh, kind of long story short, I show them about the overtone series and then I'll talk to them about the fact that, that when they sing a pitch and it's off, I'll show them the pitch on the piano that I'm playing and then I'll say, and you're singing this pitch and I'll show them on the piano. And that way they'll know, okay, there's a difference between this pitch and that pitch. Mm -hmm. And then I'll say, this pitch is higher or lower, which means it's actually faster in frequency or slower in frequency if it was too low. And that you know, they have to almost have a dial where they turn up the frequency. And then they, it's really curious, sometimes they'll get within a semitone of the pitch. And it's like agony. I'm playing the pitch on the piano. They're a semitone off, and it's like they can't get past it. Mm. But it's almost like they're... In my perception, it feels to me like they're one of those phenomenal weather airplanes that go into the eye of a hurricane. You know, just before they get into the eye, it's the most turbulent. Yeah. And then they have to kind of relax. And I'll just say, just turn it a little faster, a little faster. And then it's like, whoo, they go into this place that is very beautiful. And they get it for the first time, that that's matching the pitch. Mm. But it's a lot about getting the ear and the voice 
coordinated. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll sing a note and they'll have to tell me then, is it faster or slower? And then they'll be able to tell me, slow it down. I'm, you know, it's got to go slower. And then they can often, I'll even ask them to imagine that their bird just kind of relaxing into a current that's below them. And often they kind of slow down and boom, they'll get it or they have to speed up to get to that higher frequency. And, uh, you know, been very fortunate to have fantastic students who have been unable to match pitch to be able to sing the modus novus exercises. You guys mm -hmm. <laughs> you won't know what the heck that is, but it's an eight tonal sight singing method, oh which is gosh. just really challenging. If, you know, if you think yeah. about it, cause then you have to sing and I ask them to sing an equal temperament in that book. So uh, ultimately it is trainable and mm. of course, very life enhancing, but it's like they're having to train a physical piece of equipment. You know, you're having to learn to do it. If you sang before you went through the change and suddenly you can't match pitch anymore, I like to say, well, gee whiz, you went from playing like a little violin here to a giant double bass. You know, you have your chords are not the same. Yeah. And you have to go through that transition. And unless you sing in church or you sing in an environment where you can be a man and still sing, yeah. <laughs> uh, then you will actually be able to do just fine. But it's it's getting through that terrible, uh, I think, sociological misfire. Mm hmm that's changing now. Lots of cool, cool young men are singing and making a big career. Mm -hmm. You know, Justin Bieber. I mean, these, these people who are phenomenally young and now they're superstars, but they sang through that period. I think that really is helping. I think singing nerdy music isn't such a great thing. <laughs> <laughs> but getting folks so that they're singing is the most important thing. It's really the way you learn to feel or sense your soul in your equipment, your body. Yeah. Wow. So this feels also very, very spiritual and very vulnerable. Um, what else besides, you know, gender societal norms do you think has also maybe inhibited us from feeling comfortable with that? Because like you said, unless it was in a church capacity or you're in a choir as a kid, you get thrown into to college or even the real world and you have to figure stuff out and you're like, I've never done this. Now I have to sing in front of other people. Like this is, I'm not here to sing. I play an instrument. Like what, what does that mean? So how do you reconcile all of those feelings? I wish that we would return to a platonic uh, model whereby all of us would do music as children. Mm. It would be something that all of us would do, but in an enlightened way, not in the dark ages way, in an enlightened way whereby we are in contact with it and that we do things that are engaging or interesting or fun for us and creative. Uh, and we also do physical activity. We're, we're sure that we're now with all of our knowledge of yoga and Pilates and all these fantastic things, Feldenkrais, yeah. these different body awareness studies, transitions, whatever, uh, these practices, we would be able to help kids to have a healthier attitude towards music. And But it has to start with everyone doing it, not just yeah. the gifted, because that's usually what happens, right? right? You're a gifted singer, you have a beautiful voice. I have a terrible voice, but mm -hmm. on the other hand, so does, sorry, Bob Dylan, but you know, <laughs> but you know what? I love your voice. I, I love that voice because yeah. it's so expressive. 
And it's not the most important thing to have a gorgeous instrument. It is important to be able to have enough control to tune it the way you want to tune it. Yeah. (laughs) And to Hmm. be able to use it to express music the best that you can. And frankly, you know, I think to get good training again, ignorance is what is causing all of the fear. Hmm. And so if we know how to sing correctly, then all of a sudden, all, I think most of us could sing probably very, very well. It's in our DNA probably to be able to do it. Am I going to be an opera singer? No, but I don't want to be an opera singer. If I really <laughs> wanted to have been an opera singer, I probably could have gotten training where I could have based on what a vocalist, vocal pro told me. Mm-hmm. So, But I didn't want to do that. But I sure love singing. Yeah. I'll go wailing away in the in the car. I'm telling you. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, yeah. I love that. We've talked about Justin Bieber and Bob Dylan <laughs> and all these folks on the podcast. It's amazing. Um, how how do you train the coach in where we feel? Like, I feel like my coach is inside me, and and so is my voice. Mm-hmm. And and how do you how do you train to to understand? First of all, that a lot of this is subjective as far as like what even sounds good in the voice. Like I could think that I don't have a nice voice, but you might think that I do. Like how do we train the coach to let us see what's like actually there versus what we think is there? I think it really comes down to good parenting or good coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in other words, we develop a sense of what Mademoiselle Boulanger would call bon goût, that is good taste, from others around us. You know, we learn from our parents, this is good food or it's not. Uh, mm. And we learn from the people around us, this fabulous restaurant down the road, what a good what good taste is. I think it's the same thing in terms of sound. I think it is true that many people who have fabulous voices don't like their voice. Mm. Because it sounds kind of raucous to them. So mm. what they have to have is feedback. They have to have somebody telling them, that sounded amazing. Mm. But uh, my husband, Keith Hill, makes violins. And we've had the pleasure to be able to have a very wonderful violinist friend of ours play on these great instruments, these Guarneris and Stradivariuses. And their reaction often is shock when they get to play on these great instruments because, oh my gosh, it sounds like noise up close, but it sounds spectacular far out. So this is where we have to have communication. We have to have people giving us feedback like that sounds amazing. Mm. But I wonder if we ask some of our pop stars how they really feel about their own voice. If they wouldn't say, I love singing, but I don't necessarily love that, accepting that I know it's communicating and it Mm -hmm. means a lot to the the listener. And uh, so I'm not overly hooked into my feeling a narcissistic joy as much as I care about the fact that it's communicating what I'm hoping. So, of course, my deal is and my teaching is to give feedback, to say that was beautifully in tune and that's wonderful. And don't forget, try not to sing with a whisper because that is that sotto voce, unless you're a pro, it's like a hairdryer on your vocal cords. Mm. So try letting it really, you know, us gals with, you know, we've got a high pitch we have to sing. We have to put a lot of air through there. And so it'll sound like screaming to us. And most of us are embarrassed by that. Yeah. But that's where an expert can tell you, you know what? Let it out. Don't Mm. don't try to hide it because you're actually not finding out what your voice actually can do. Mm. So... That's amazing. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and then as far as your, your method, like how do you incorporate with your students singing? You know, you mentioned the modus novus, but what, what does that look like? And, and what percentage of, of that is, is what you do in lessons? It's very important, especially now, Karen, because of the fact that I can't do what I would usually do in person because so many of my lessons are virtual. And in fact, all of them right now. So singing with a drone is one of the best ways to learn how to tune. And it's the, it is by far the best way of hearing how dichords act because you feel them in your body according to those three factors that I've discovered. But basically, singing is a great way for you to get in rapport with yourself. And especially with a, with a drone, it can kind of help you to be hearing another something, a little bit like training wheels, which eventually you won't need. But it will really help to bring out how we perceive the dichords. You'll feel when you sing a dichord three, a minor third, you'll feel its aspects of its three sound factors. You'll feel it, all three, as they're described in my book. And essentially, this is very much more powerful than my just playing them for you and having you identify them. That's passive. It's not doing it from for yourself and feeling it like, ooh, that minor third just, it's cranky. It's hard to tune that sucker. Whereas the major third, it's so easy to sing it right. I just feel it. It just comes out. But this guy, and really feeling that the way it feels is what's going to make you understand the nature of a minor third, much better than if I'm just playing that thing for you and transposing it to different pitch levels. It's much more powerful. So though there's so much tragic about this, about COVID and our having to quarantine, one of the beauties of it is that actually I found that people learn these things better. So it's incorporated because everyone sings in all of the modes with the drone and they learn to sing in equal temperament I'll explain later, or into in pure tuning. Again, I'll explain the difference <laughs> later. But essentially, they learn how to feel the differences, and then they get to sing in any gradation between those two extremes. Uh, and that basically, it, it they become able to really recognize each dichord as an entity, you know, as a real character. It's like a dare I say it, it's like it's an energy. And each one is unique and goes beyond the three factors that we need to know, uh, as I've described them. Uh, it goes beyond that, but definitely it gets us in touch with it much, much, much better than if it's passive where I'm just asking you to identify what I'm playing to you. Wow. And then when I play it for them, it's like, oh, it's chorus, it's a, th yeah, it's a three, it's a minor third. It, so it's better. In other words, there's a blessing to this virtual world in which we live. Yeah, that's wonderful. And what are your what are you noticing of of your students that do sing, um, like that are by working with you, singing more and, and getting more in tune with building rapport with themselves? Like, what are some positive changes that we can all expect? I think that it becomes something where you you are listening with different ears. You're beginning to sense. Um, bon goût, good taste. Mm -hmm. You begin to sense, okay, if I were playing that, I'd just tweak that a little higher without being judgmental, but just listening and going, okay, or else I really love that. That's a, that's a really flat minor third, but it's perfect there because then good old, you know, Streisand or one of the great singers today will just raise that pitch 
Celine Dion, just raise it to be right in tune, okay? And, uh, but it was perfect, it was wonderful. So you're listening with a refinement like a chef. You're really knowing what's going on. In addition to that, you become much more aware of how to tune, of how when you have a more complex harmony, let's say you're a conductor or a composer, you know what that thing's gonna sound like and you know what's gonna happen and how, uh, how to deal with it. Yeah, mm, I love that. I love the refinement part. Because, yeah, I feel like when you listen to, to a good singer that you enjoy, you, you almost feel like you're in the water with them. Yes. It's super it, strange. It, no, I know it. It does, you know. <laughs> I think yeah. we are affecting something a whole lot more than just the airwaves. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. And um, what are some things that uh, to kind of keep in mind? Like, let's just say someone's like, okay, great, Marianne, I'm, I'm going to start singing. Like, where could they start? What I would say is to to take, let's say, something like, um, I'd like to teach the world to sing. You know, a familiar tune that you have. And what I would challenge you to do is even just find, take that first note. By the way, it's not the tonic. So, um, <laughs> but, da, da, and then sing, da, 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 and play it with the drone, that first note, over and over again, lightly. And just, just see if, you know, you can feel what the pitch space is as you're singing, da, da, how far did I move? Did I move? It's not, da, da, da. It's like my index finger is moving, and it's moving only a little distance from that first note. And then it goes right back to that note again. And then it goes. So you're just listening. Oh, there's that note again. I just did. So that you're yeah. you're beginning just to imagine that you're moving on a I like to say a theremin or a single stringed instrument. You're just moving your finger, index finger up and down and tracking the pitch while that drone's going on. Keep your anchor, okay, for now. Um, but that would be just a way to to start is just to get so that you're feeling how far your voice is moving and you really will feel it in your voice. If your index finger is moving along with it, then you're going to start feeling that pitch space as you move down or up. You're moving to a slower frequency. Chords are slightly, as I understand it, a little bit looser (laughs) than if you're going to higher pitches. And so you're just kind of getting so that you're sensitive, almost gliding from one note to the next to feel the pitch space as you're moving from one note to another. And that this begins to turn on this, this sense of, 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 awareness of pitch space yeah mm, starts so in the good. voice mm-hmm. so so good marianne thank you so much for sharing all of this of um is there anything else that you want to say uh, that's enough for now i guess that's <laughs> a lot y'all <laughs> yeah lots of wisdom here um thanks again y'all for listening um if you think of it please leave us a review on apple music it's one of the ways where people can find us and as always please feel free to reach out if you have any questions thoughts or any podcast ideas thanks so much for listening thank you